Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Sonia Sly and you're listening to My Heels Are Killing Me. Now, there's a lot happening in the fashion industry right now. There are pressures to be transparent, sustainable and ethical. Digital technology and social media is also driving the momentum of the industry faster than production and designers can keep up. It sounds exhausting and it can be a crash and burn industry where only the strong, most innovative, savvy businesses not only survive, but thrive. Now, I had the opportunity to moderate two panel discussions with Kiwi designers and fashion industry professionals in Auckland to discuss the changes in the marketplace, the volatility of the industry and the impact that it has on Kiwi businesses, growth in Asia and brand identity. In this first panel discussion, I talked to industry veteran, designer Tanya Carlson, Kelly Coe of women's wear label Augustine, and young designer Maggie Hewitt of luxury label Maggie Marilyn. And I started off by asking Tanya Carlson what it was like to start a brand at a time when online shopping and social media didn't exist. It was really easy. You know, we start, I started in the 90s. It was the heyday of made in New Zealand. There was very little international imports unless it was kind of something that was coming in as a European designer. Um, you didn't kind of have fast fashion. So it was a platform for people like Karen and Kate and Zambezi, Nomdi, that we all kind of... There was a wealth of incredible machinists that were still around, the women that had done tailoring apprenticeships. Rent was cheap. I was living in Dunedin. Um, and so it was quite kind of a straightforward process, to be to be honest. And there were very strong wholesale accounts. People paid on time. So I'm making it sound like it was utopia. Um, but there were some real issues around funding. We had lots of problems with um, getting into Australia and banks utterly not wanting to support me, wanting me to mortgage. I had a little house. They wanted me to, you know, remortgage my house to be able to export. So that had its its challenges. Um, so I've, those were obvious barriers for you? Yeah, fi- yes, finance. And then I bought my first dot-com out of America, I think, in 1998. Um, and it took a while to get a website developed. Um, so quite early on we had a internet kind of presence um, so that, I mean, yeah, that's how it started for me. And Kelly, you came from a marketing background and you utilise like, social media as a way to actually sell and promote your brand. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, social media for us is, has been huge. It's always had its positives and its negatives, more positive than negative. We grew our brand on Facebook. Our customers grew with us and we were so different at the time because I was the only person that really put myself out there as the face of my brand and said, this is me at the playground with my kids wearing my clothes and then everyone else wanted to buy them as well. So it's more common now, but when I started, you know, other brands had their marketing person do their 
um, social media for them or they were doing very stylized photos and things, whereas I would literally put a top on and go and stand in my garden and take a photo. And that really resonated with my customers because my customer is not high-end fashion in Auckland. They are all over New Zealand. They are farmers' wives. They're in Invercargill, Te Amuru. I think we were the, sort of the first people that said, here, I'm the same as you. Yeah, it made it really approachable for them, I think, which was a huge part of our social media kind of, well, it wasn't a tactic, but kind of probably seemed that way. Okay, <laughs> it was very so organic. Did it not feel like a risk at the time to kind of be doing that when there weren't other business models, or, you know, businesses that you could kind of reference and go, okay, well, that seems to be working? Um, it wasn't really a risk. I saw a gap in the market for affordable fashion that was colourful and bright. And when we first began, I showed a very colourful, bright sequined range and all my wholesalers absolutely hated it so I had to reach my customer straight to my customer rather than trying to convince a shop owner that this was going to be a good idea because they'd never seen anything like it they'd never seen anything like this color and this amount of sparkle and beading and they were like this is never going to sell in New Zealand um, and so I had to go straight to the customer and convince convince them that it was okay to start wearing color and to wear those sort of pieces so yeah it was me showing them that this is how you wear it this is where you wear it just in everyday life and we've slowly kind of bringing the colour evolution through. (laughs) Fantastic. And Maggie, for you, I mean, you've entered the industry at an interesting time when technology is already there. What strategies are in place to sell your brand utilising, say, technology or social media? Has it been important? Yeah, I think I'm lucky to have launched my brand at this time. Um, I don't think maybe even 10 years ago I would have been able to do what I've done with my brand so quickly. We're so connected now through social media. It's so easy to jump on a Skype call with Neiman Marcus or Netta Porter and to be based in New Zealand. I mean, you've had the benefit of being picked up very early on and now stocked at exclusive fashion houses around the world. So what do you see as a benefit for other emerging designers who don't necessarily get that foot in, you know, straight off the bat? I find social media hard because I'm quite a private person, so it's something that I've really had to understand the power that it has, but I think you really can't underestimate the power of something like Instagram for a young brand now. I think you see young brands coming out of nowhere because, you know, of their following on Instagram. It's a pretty important platform for us, even with sales and directly reaching our customer because we don't have our own standalone stores. I've got one store in New Zealand now. You know, we did stock David Jones, 13 stores, 35 wholesale accounts, three stores. But 10 years ago, we completely downsized the business, and now it's just me. It's quite interesting change over over the 20 years, but it's a profitable, great experience for me. Every morning I get up, and I love to go to work. Is the benefit then of having one store of kind of being like a destination store then? Yeah, definitely a destination store, but then you've got online. So all of those customers that were our, that bought the brand in Australia now buy online. If you bought a pant in 1997 and another one in 2006, it's still the same shape. I mean, what are your thoughts on the industry here? Is it a volatile time to be in the industry in New Zealand or are we completely removed from the bigger picture? No, I think that we are completely exposed to it. We live in the bottom of the world. We've experienced huge changes in terms of bricks and mortars, our tariffs coming off about made-in-China clothing coming into this country, which was 
you know, obliterated our shoe manufacturing and most of our clothing manufacturing. So there was massive adjustments that had to be made, change in wholesale versus buying online. Um, you know, there was a period of time there, about probably about seven years ago, where everyone was just obsessed with buying very inexpensive product coming in on the on the internet. But it's kind of, for us, it's come back round full circle. But we're not wholesaling, and we're not wholesaling internationally. But I think the, the key for us is to keep it very lean and to be more specialised and to offer more of a service to our customers. And Kelly, what's your experience been? Because even over the past five years, I mean, Facebook has changed and Instagram has changed in terms of, like, you know, who gets promoted first. Like, what changes do you see there and how do you navigate that? Yeah, Facebook is hard and now we didn't used to have Instagram at all a couple of years ago. We're now slowly building our Instagram as our customers, because our customer main target's sort of 30 to 50, they weren't on Instagram at all and a lot of them still aren't. Facebook is still our, our major social media platform, but we're slowly pushing them onto Instagram because at the moment I can get as many likes on an Instagram post as I can get on a Facebook post, which is ridiculous because Facebook, we have 165,000 followers and Instagram, we've got 30,000 followers. So it should theoretically a post on Facebook should get a lot more pickup but the algorithms and things are changing so constantly that Facebook you never know what kind of cycle you're in you feel like you're on a roller coaster on Facebook that you might get have a week of getting an incredible pickup and then the next week you'll do a post and it gets nothing and my highest posts are when I put Havana my two-year-old on my Facebook page (laughs) she gets more likes than any other product I put out there so not that she's a product Um, (laughs) it's an incredible incredible tool that you've just got to take the good with the bad I think because we wouldn't have gone our business without it. So when they start, everything has to be paid for now and people moan about, oh, Facebook sucks you for money. I'm like, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than going and putting an $8,000 one single page ad in Fashion, fashion Quarterly. The amount that I spend on social media gets me so much more pickup. So, yeah, you take the good with the bad. I think. But, you know, the big secret, how do you get it right? For me, it's just been that organic, everyday mum on Facebook doing what I do and posting about it. And every time I have a range in, I get a group of friends together and we go and do a photo shoot at a playground or at a cafe and we put the clothes on. That's what gets my attraction more than if I put a model, a six-foot size eight model, which is I'm not ever criticised that because I used to be a model. That doesn't get picked up. My customers don't want to see that. The only reason I do a lot book is so that my wholesalers can see it and not, we can put it on the website. Otherwise... My customers want to see everyday women. My friends, uh, my customers, we get our customers to come and do our photo shoots for us, and that's what they want to see. And so I think that's why social media has worked for me. Yeah, they feel like they're part of an Augustine family, which is pretty cool. Do you, do you see yourself as an influencer too then? I mean, you, because you're basically in that market, but you have a product, and I guess it's kind of like working the inverse way for some influencers yeah. where they start as an influencer and then grow another brand or product? Um, I'm an influencer for only one brand, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we get contacted a lot, like daily, to promote product. I get sent product and I don't post about it. I get offered collabs and things, and I've just always, apart from the one where we just went to Hawaii because that we couldn't say no to that one. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I've, I just say no, and my husband's been so big on that. He's like, say no, say no, say no. And I'm like, but that would be amazing. He's like, say no, because I've made it authentic, and my customers don't want to see me promoting a music bar or me promoting something else because it's got to be about my brand to make it authentic. And so I've kept my page really raw the whole time. At the luxury end, 
would you say that it is even more competitive? And is there an element of volatility? Because you're out there on the international stage. Is this regards to social media or volatility in general? In general. I feel like there's always been volatility, and I think we live um, in a time where there's so much change, but I'm a brand that really champions change. Um, I think it's really exciting in terms of the discussions around sustainability are, you know, more prevalent than ever, and um, as a brand that really heroes sustainability and ethical fashion, I think it's a really exciting time. Now, you recently showed at New York Fashion Week What was your experience there? Well, yeah, so it was our first time ever doing a fashion show or a presentation. Um, First time showing in New York, which was a dream come true. And um, I think the thing for me when we were planning to do a show or a presentation was really about doing something different. It wasn't about doing a classic runway show, um, having models walk down, and I think the thing for me that I love to do is storytelling. So I narrated the whole show. Um, As the models came out, I talked through um, the sustainability aspects to our clothing, the fabrications, and also how much I want to hero New Zealand and my love for New Zealand manufacturing and my country and really bringing that to the world. Yeah, we had such a positive response to the real intimacy. What do you think the international perception of New Zealand and New Zealand fashion is in a bigger context? I think if you go to a place like China... They don't know a lot about New Zealand, to be honest. Is it a benefit in some ways, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we get lumped in with Australia quite a lot. I mean, I've been called an Australian designer quite a few times. I just use that to my advantage, I guess. I love bringing New Zealand to the world and, yeah, showing people what amazing country we have. So, Maggie, granted that you now stock in Asia... Would you say that there are opportunities there for other New Zealand brands? Yeah, it's been an amazing region for us. It's our second biggest market after the US. Um, And we have amazing multi-store boutiques and department stores like Lane Crawford that we're stocked in. And I went to Shanghai in March and did a store training there. And yeah, I absolutely love it. It's such a great market for us. And I have an amazing sales agency in Australia that I work with. Um, And I go to Paris every season and I sell my collections. We have people in the sales agency that speak fluent Mandarin so that we can get into these stores, yeah. Now your tagline on your website is livable luxury consciously created in New Zealand. How important, and I address this to all three of you, is that made in New Zealand branding identity now? How relevant is it? Well, I can tell you it didn't used to mean anything. You know, we for 10 years had a made in New Zealand sign on our window and at a time that when I think Trelease went to China, there was a whole lot of us that were stocking the uh, department stores in Australia and, and it, it came down to a choice that I decided not to go to China. At that time, I, my, my brother works for Greenpeace and he was incredibly critical of the human rights um, and forced labour camps and things that he decided to tell me about. So this was about 15 years ago. Um, but I remember someone came out from England and they said, look, it happened in food, it will happen in fashion. and um, Because it seemed to make no difference. And then I... About 18 months ago, there was just this sea change. You could feel it happening, people wanting to know 
where the clothing was made, how it was made, why it was made. Um, and it's, it's fantastic to have that conversation. And we have um, a tailor that works upstairs, and if he comes down and talks to customers about their clothing, they're really appreciative and, and quite happy to pay the price to, to um, support Made in New Zealand. Um, but that, that only works for me because I'm small. But if I was making, you know, 300 units of something, I'd be in deep trouble. I would definitely be manufacturing off, offshore. Speaking of manufacturing offshore, so Kelly, you produce eight ranges at a time. Your brand is inclusive, but you also manufacture offshore. What has that process been um, like? The, we're really fortunate that we've got, it's not our own factory in China, but it is only makes our product. So we can do minimums as small as 30s, which is very rare in China. And also I don't think you could go to China now and get that. Um, we don't have to make two or 300 of everything. So that is why I can have so many ranges because what my customers want is they want to know that they buy an address and there's not, it's not, a, we're not a chain store. There's not 500 of that same dress out there. So what we did quite a few years ago that we decided to make our ranges really big so our ranges are kind of 200 styles in a collection which is over six months that's for one label but we're only making such a small amount of each style so yeah it's very rare in Chinese made and I think that's why our customers don't mind that we're made in China I mean they wouldn't be my customers if they did mind but we are too small to go through the whole process of being able to tell you where the cotton comes from when the zips come from the buttons come from so that's why I don't go too much into my Chinese made on my Facebook or put it too much out there because when you go through those fair trade things, they want to know everything. And I, I buy my fabrics from a fabric supplier in China. So in all honesty, I have no idea how my fabric is made, but I know how my clothes are made and I know who makes them. And I work in their office myself when I go up there and it's a small family and it's a small team. They're making 30 of each. So that sits well with me and I'm fine with it. And I don't have a problem with made in China. I used to work for a New Zealand made company that was made in China down the road in a factory that was owned by Chinese people and all that had all Chinese workers. So I'm just like, what is the difference? Do you feel any sense of pressure to start, you know, refocusing in the future, you know, maybe considering some other, you know, sustainable ways of looking at your, either your business model or the manufacturing process? I mean, is there that pressure? I don't ever feel that pressure. I mean, I think it's the way of the world. And I credit Tanya and Maggie that can make in New Zealand. I think that's awesome. But it wasn't my ever my business model. We had to go to China because I have so many different styles and working for high society that I used to work for, I saw the cost of New Zealand made. We were wholesaling a dress for $222 wholesale because that's what it costs into wholesale it. I don't sell a dress for $222 very, really retail. So to reach my customer and to put it out there as an affordable clothing label to reach the massive in New Zealand, that's what had to be done. Given that your clothing is, isn't quite fast fashion but it's also affordable, who is your competition? Different labels have different competition. My biggest issue and my biggest gripe is Charlo, my daywear casual label, is the amount of copycats that I have out there and they are popping up every second day on Facebook. Stay-at-home mums that think... Let's just start making garments, import some fabrics from China, start making them, and they're my exact styles. So that's really frustrating because I get told this time and time again is that I made it look too easy on my social media. So Augustine's different because it takes so much more design and it's so much more intricate and there's so much more fabrications and sequins and stuff that a stay-at-home mum can't make it and throw a, call it, make it a label and start a Facebook page and there's their business. Okay, now just lastly... A little bit about branding, maybe just one top tip each for what you feel your business 
does really well or what a new business could potentially do coming into the industry? Because no business can be everything to all people, or can it? Maybe Kelly? I think have a unique point of difference and be your brand. Do something unique that you're passionate about. When I was quite young, I had a bit of a wobble at about year two, and um, I got this great advice from Nigel Richards, who was uh, the designer at Standard Issue, and he just said, stick to your knitting. You know, just keep doing what you do. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't look and be influenced by other people's designs. Just figure out inherently what you like and just keep going. With my brand, there's this real lightness and optimism that comes from the clothing and really something that's important to me is to I guess empower our customer to really make her feel like she can go out there and um, change her world and yeah I feel like um, sustainability for me is kind of something that really tugs at my own heartstrings and yeah I hope that through my company I can make a positive difference in our industry and that's the biggest thing that I feel I'm trying to do. That was Maggie Hewitt, the designer and founder of luxury label Maggie Marilyn. You also heard designer Tanya Carlson and Kelly Coe. Special thanks to New Zealand Fashion Week and online magazine Fashion NZ for making those sessions possible. And I'm your host and producer Sonia Sly. Next week, we talk about the different ways to be sustainable, collaboration and growing the industry and the importance of diversifying. If you'd like to listen again or to find out more, head to the RNZ website and look for My Heels Are Killing Me or head to Podbean, Stitcher, Radio Public or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you soon. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.